Hello, I'm Ernie Manus. Welcome to Next Question. Jamie Foxx has been on a long journey from his days as a stand-up comic to an Academy Award-winning actor, and now he's in the award race again with his new film, Just Mercy. Today, we will look back on an interview I did with the actor when his film, Ray, was just being released in 2004. And we're also talking top 10 lists with Dustin Chase. What were some of your favorite movies of 2019? Do you think they made his list? How about your least favorite films? Dustin will share his five worst films also. Plus, Justin McKee will point you to some podcasts worth your time. And Troy Schultz will give us a look at the high points of the 2019 season of the music series Skyline Sessions. But first... Joining me in the studio is Eddie Robinson, our morning news anchor here at News 88.7. Hello there, Eddie. Hey, Ernie. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's been quite a year. You get to share the yeah. news with us every single day right here at the station. I'm mm-hmm. curious, if you had to sit down and write the book about news in 2019, what mm-hmm. would the title be? Disasters and Inspiration. Because I think Ooh, all I like the, the stories, yeah, all these stories have some sort of disaster, but there is some faith and hope. And yeah. all of them. Tell me this. I asked you to bring us the 10 stories you thought were most important of the year. I'm curious what criteria you used to pick these. How did you choose these 10 stories? Um, well, it was all about um, popularity, um, how they impacted Houston residents, uh, the city of Houston in general, you know, and they're all over the place. Yeah. Um, from stories that were really popular on our website and then stories that impacted Houston residents. And nobody has a better seat to choose these than you, because you hear it all and have to share it all with us. So where do we begin? Number 10. Number 10 um, was the uh, basically a fighter um, for ISIS, you know, 34-year-old Warren Christopher Clark, who was a convert to Islam and a former substitute teacher. um, And he had previously admitted to seeking a position to teach English at a university in Mosul, which ISIS had occupied for more than three years, authorities ended up capturing him on the battlefield in Syria thanks to U.S.-backed Kurdish forces. Back in a a January 5th raid, he was transferred to the U.S. and then brought back to Houston where he appeared in federal court. This guy, by the way, is from Sugar Land. And there's also a Netflix documentary about him. Uh, It's called Ghost of Sugar Land. Uh, It's a very quick watch, only 20 minutes long, and it's directed by a friend of his who grew up with him from his teen years in Fort Bend County. I saw that on my queue, and I didn't know what it was. And I thought, Sugarland, that's right here. Check it out, Ghost of Sugarland. But that's our number 10 story. Interesting. Number nine. Number nine, I believe, uh, it's to me, when we're talking of documentaries and Netflix, Ernie, this is... This story has the makings of a really big, interesting movie that film directors could actually be chomping at the bit for. It's the botched drug raid, Um, the Pecan Park raid earlier in in January. It was on the East End, uh, the East End District of Houston. HPD officers initiated a no-knock raid on a house, killing two homeowners, a married husband and wife. Shots fired all over the place. And after it was all said and done, five HPD officers sustained injuries, a few of them serious. I believe one officer remains paralyzed from the waist down. You know, officers expected to find illegal drugs at this uh, at this house, but there were no drugs found. One of the officers lied so he can get a warrant for the no knock. 
Um, after an internal investigation, the incident ended up showing massive misconduct among narcotics officers. 17 people were disciplined. Even a neighbor who dialed 911 was also arrested and charged. It was a mess, Ernie. HPD is still dealing with ongoing litigation, legal issues from this botched drug raid. And that's our hot item from number nine. I remember when that played out and I kept thinking, wow, there's something at play here. And we yeah. don't, I don't know that we have all the information yet. We don't. And it was a, just a very messy story yeah. with HPD. But that's our number nine story. Okay. Number eight. Number eight comes from two unlikely people teaming up in November. This is the inspiration. <laughs> Kanye West, hip hop <laughs> Grammy winner Kanye West teaming up with Houston megachurch pastor Joel Osteen, collaborating for a first ever Lakewood Church Sunday service chat on November 17th. And then later that Sunday night, they had a concert event where 16,000 people packed Lakewood to witness Kanye and his massive choir singing songs from his uh, new album, Jesus is King. Uh, it's also been reported, Ernie, that the duo will link up once again on May 2nd, 2020 for Osteen's America's Night of Hope tour to take place at New York City's Yankee Stadium. I'd heard they were going to go off and do this again. Did you get a ticket? Did you get to go? I did not want to go. Um, because, <laughs> too big a crowd there. Yeah, it was just too intense. And But I did get a chance to see it online. Yeah. Okay, number seven. The number seven story is the ITC Deer Park petrochemical fire and explosion. I know mm -hmm. you remember that one. Yeah. Uh, the fire, it began March 17th at the um, Inter Intercontinental Terminals Company. It spread black smoke across Houston for miles. You know, you can see it for miles. It shut down portions of the Houston Ship Channel. It slowed production at local oil refineries. It closed roadways. Schools had shelter-in-place orders all over the place. Uh, the fire had spread from one giant storage tank to about 10 others, you know, Air quality monitors had shown levels of benzene in the air. You know, it was especially scary story for me personally, Ernie, because at the time of the incident, or at least the aftermath of the incident, HBO aired that five-part award-winning series, Chernobyl, right. that miniseries <laughs> that revolved around the Chernobyl nuclear disaster of April of 1986. The cleanup efforts, all of that, it was like... You know, here's this potential disaster that happened in Russia, and now it could possibly happen here in Houston. <laughs> it did. It had all the elements of that kind of a story. And I, I think it's interesting when you say, you know, I know you remember this one. I felt like this year news came so fast and furious. It was. That you get, you latch onto one story, and before you know it, the next one's the next there. One. And you never really feel we've completed the story before, before we're moving on. So I love that we're recapping these, <laughs> and, and you're giving a little tidbit of where we are with them. Yeah. Number six. And on some level, some of these stories. Stories are still ongoing. Yeah, some of the activity yeah. that's happening. Number six, the death of four-year-old Malia Davis. Oh yeah, that was so touching. It had to have been very, um, very t uh, an intense story for all of Houston and even the country. Uh, her mysterious disappearance and then her reported death sent shockwaves, you know, to the entire Houston community. This beautiful yeah. young child um, was initially reported missing. Uh, from a Sugarland hospital in May. Then several weeks later, her remains were found in a trash bag on the side of the road near Hope, Arkansas. The bag was allegedly hit by a lawnmower. Her stepfather, Darion Vince, was the main suspect in her disappearance, and he later confessed to the police of dumping her body there. Uh, just a tragic story, Ernie, that happened mm -hmm. earlier this year, right before the summer kicked in. Wow. All right, moving Malia on Davis. number five. That's terrible. Number five. Um, this was a story that I, along with my colleague Jen Rice, worked on extensively. 
Um, and actually exclusively, um, Houston City Council member Rodney Ellis tapped us to kind of work on this story. He and his team reached out to News 88.7 after a trip to Alabama. They went to the Legacy Museum. Inside this museum were giant rails that hung from the ceiling, and each one of them represented names of lynching victims from countless uh, from, from 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 counties across the across the country. So if you can imagine, you know, this sizable room, Ernie, where, you know, you've got all these rails hanging from the ceiling. One rail in particular included the names of four black men who were shot, burned, hung right here Mm. in Harris County. So now there's a national movement to commemorate lynching victims right here in Harris County. Uh, Councilmember Ellis received unanimous approval by leaders of the city council back in September to install these markers or site memorials to represent those men who were lynched right here in Harris County. And these memorials will be located in a park directly across from the county courthouse. And what's so fascinating about this is that the founder of this national movement, civil rights defense attorney Brian Stevenson, he'll be portrayed in a new movie That'll be out Christmas Day nationwide on January 10th called Just Mercy. Um, The Black Panthers actor uh, Michael B. Jordan, he's going to be playing Brian Stevenson. Actor Jamie Foxx will play a death row inmate who's wrongly accused of murder. Um, And it's it's just a very timely movie. But at the same time, it's good that News 88.7 had a little touch of Brian Stevenson, the guy who's um, really instrumental in this movement that we're actually in the process of, you know, having these markers. Harris County, with the the help of council member um, Rodney Ellis, in, in installing these markers to represent these lynching victims of Harris County. Wow. Powerful story. That's right. And it's on HoustonPublicMedia.org because some of these stories uh, within 2019 were very popular on our website. Okay, on to number four. Uh, the horse-mounted arrest that went uh, down in the city of Galveston. Remember that? Shocking. Yeah, a black man was led uh, led to jail by two Galveston police officers on horseback with a rope. Uh, Galveston police apologized after that incident, but it probably would have gone unnoticed if it weren't for bystanders with cell phones, Ernie. Uh, the whole thing was caught by someone on the streets who circulated the dramatic photo online, um, and the officers just showed poor judgment, according to the police chief. And they could have waited for a transport unit, according to the chief, and and they could have arrested the guy right there. So you see those images, and you have to wonder how anyone thought that was acceptable. That was acceptable, right? I you mean, know? it was just so weird, so strange. Number yeah. four. All right, on to number three. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, another massive story that ended up being. I kind of thought that it should be number one, but I don't want to be you know biased in this whole thing. But it was okay. about the Houston Astros. Oh wow! <laughs> Do we have a baseball team? Uh, I think so, and I hope your levels weren't. <laughs> you peaked us a little, down. but that's okay. <laughs> well, the Houston Astros uh, won the title in 2017, but the story was really their trek, their trek to their second World Series appearance in three seasons, and just seeing these amazing players are just develop right before your eyes. Garrett Cole, the the now new Yankees pitcher, just just did gangbusters on the mound, breaking yeah. strikeout records all over the place. Um, you know, seeing Jose Altuve hit that walk off home run on game in Game Six against the Yanks. Um, yeah, Justin Verlander, George Springer, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, Michael Brantley, you know, all of them just amazing. But all of that now 
could be overshadowed by this news of this controversy surrounding sign stealing Mm -hmm. that's threatening the credibility of the franchise. And plus, you know, you've got they fired this uh, assistant general manager for inappropriate comments directed at a group of female reporters. I mean, it's like at the end of the season, just things just went crazy. It's like, what happened with the Astros? But it's actually one of the wackiest World Series, by the way, uh, this year when all the visiting teams Won every single game. I don't follow sports that closely. That fact stands out to me as so bizarre. It was so bizarre. You know, they always say you're not appreciated at home. You have to leave home to be appreciated. In this series, everyone was appreciated away from home. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the, it was, a, you know, look, another winning team. You, 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 The questions are now, you know, still springing up. You know, have the Astros peaked? You know, will yeah. they do something in 2020? What does your gut say? I think I I still believe that they've got a lot going on. Yeah. Um, they're still a, a real good contender for 2020. You know, the thing is, how much of this penalty with the sign stealing? How much of a penalty will that be entering into the 2020 season? Because I think that the the commissioner said something about them making a decision on that investigation right before the season starts. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's like a TV series, yeah. you know, to be continued. The, soap you know, the opera story continues. of the Houston Astro. Number two. Another big story, um, and it's a big story on our HoustonPublicMedia.org site. It looks at how life expectancy in Houston can vary up to 20 years, depending on where you live. It varies even more up to 30 years, Ernie, between some zip codes. Our digital reporter Katie Watkins examined data that had been researched back in March by UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, and it found that across Harris County, the average life expectancy is 78.9 years. But all of that kind of varies depending on where you live. Well, that's good to know because I'm planning on buying a house this year. Oh. And so I need to know what zip code to move to so I can live forever. Is that is that how that works? That's perfect. Look, go to yeah. HoustonPublicMedia.org and you'll find like the full interactive map and you can do your search of your zip code. Just go to that That's full interactive, go to the link and just hit that link for the full interactive map, put in your zip code and then you can find uh, your um, life expectancy age. Well, if that's story number two, I can't even imagine what's number one. Number what's the one, big story of the year? The big story of 2019 was, of course, the Kettle House story. It turns out that that was also our most popular story on HoustonPublicMedia.org. Um, if you ever have driven down Galveston Island near Jamaica Beach, you might have seen this all-metal structure that looks like a big, massive kettle. It's round on the bottom with a pointed roof on top. It was originally built to be a tank for an oil and gas company in the 60s, but it was never used. But now it's being turned into a Galveston home. TV stars Ashley and Michael Cordray have a DIY network series called Big Texas Fix. And they own a real estate company and um, basically refurbished, redesigned, and just rehabilitated this kettle house. And it ended up being one of our most popular stories on HoustonPublicMedia.org. It's a Galveston landmark. And you can totally check out pics and read more about the story. First reported by Michael Haggerty of Houston Matters on our website, HoustonPublicMedia.org. Thanks for that list. Kind of yeah. interesting to hear the hear the year summed up in those 10 stories. It was pretty intense. It was a very, very good year, yeah. like the song says, right? <laughs> yeah. When you, each morning, you, you read and share with us these stories every day, I'm curious, your belief in the people of Houston, what, 
What do you see as a characteristic of us from all the news that comes across your desk? What, what's the narrative there? Well, I just see it's a it's a it's a story of resiliency. You know, it's yeah. sort of like that you know clutch city of of the Houston Rockets of how they were termed back in the day. There's just a lot of resilience here, and it just really you you see it a lot, especially with law enforcement and military and military veterans and those stories. Hearing about these two police sergeants that were killed recently and how the community just kind of they're they're right behind them and and they they and and they're supportive of them and it you know I listened to the funeral services and could just be choked up you know you can just hear what these people brought to the community and they put their lives on the line and you see a lot of that in that hope in that yeah. inspiration um and it just really surprised me to see all these people even come out to that Kanye West, Joel Osteen concert. I mean, thousands among thousands of people were, you know, going to this event. And it just has this sense of faith, you know, it's this yeah. sense of inspiration, despite all the botched raids, despite the, you know, Sugarland ISIS fighter, despite all of this madness with, you know, wrong way drivers. And, you know, there is a still sense of strong hope that these Houstonians really, you know, hold dear to their hearts. And you just kind of have to look at it from that standpoint um, in reporting the news and saying, you know what, you have to have some sort of faith in each other to live on. You've reported in what we call other markets, and now you're here with us. You're part of our family. Do you notice a difference or are all people genuinely the same? Oh, the traffic, of course. (laughs) I mean, coming from New York City, I thought New York City had bad traffic, but at least there's the underground and the subway system. But there's no way they can have something like that here in Houston with the floods and the whole thing. Um, But that's really kind of like the only thing that I have to kind of compare it is, you know, when you're living in New York City for 20 plus years and you experience all of that and it is a hardcore diverse city coming to Houston it's still to me. I mean, I've lived here for almost six years now, yeah. and it's still a transition for me. It's still hard to kind of come to grips with this city. I'm kind of waiting to hear what you've got to say with regards to your new home, because I've been renting a lot myself. <laughs> right. So I'm just looking forward to hearing what you have to say, you know, with regards to having, you know, a chunk of Houston in your pocket here and yeah. and, 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 and now a homeowner, so to speak. And well, just, I'm, I'm, I'm to really looking forward to that. Which zip code I'm moving into because I do want to <laughs> live a long life. So we'll f- I know that that's not exactly how it works, <laughs> but I'm going to go with it. You yeah. know, we can always get our news every morning from you. I love hearing you when you report it. No, I love feeling that that concern and camaraderie you give to us when you share the news with us each morning. Folks can hear you every morning right here on News 88.7. Eddie Robinson is our morning news anchor. Thanks for sharing these stories. Anytime. Thanks, Ernie. Still to come on today's show, Academy Award-winning actor Jamie Foxx and Dustin Chase's top films of 2019 as Next Question continues. I'm Ernie Manus, and you're listening to Next Question. Jamie Foxx has had quite a career. Born in a racially segregated community in Texas, Foxx credits his grandmother's love and guidance for helping him to rise above his situation and take the world by storm. Starting off at Comedy Club Open Mic Nights, within a few years, he was a cast member for the show In Living Color, and things really took off. Forging the right friendships and with an innate talent, he was soon making films and garnering attention. And then, in 2004, taking on the title role in the biographical film Ray, 
Fox won the Academy Award for Best Actor. On the eve of that film's release, I had an opportunity to sit down with Fox and talk about his life and career. Here's some of that conversation. Take me back. When was it you knew you wanted to act? I grew up in the South, you know, in, in Dallas. You really never put into process the acting or I'm going to go act because, you know, at that time, you didn't really know where to go. I mean, I never get watching. I think it was Zoom. <laughs> and they would say, and this today from so-and-so from Davenport, Iowa. I'd be like, where, where the hell is that? Where, is, where are all these places? But luckily, I had a grandmother that would take me around on a bus. And we would go travel. So I, I knew what Los Angeles was about. My grandmother made sure I got my classical piano, uh, you know, studied and everything. So I got a chance to at least get to close to L.A. and San Diego. And uh, started with music and acting and everything. And then that's when I knew that by getting close to it, I knew that this is something that I could pursue and really be good at it. And then once that happened, it was just a matter of finding the right projects and taking the right steps to get to this point. Yeah. When you talk about your childhood and that, yeah. what amazes me the most about your story is the racism you faced. Yeah. And I guess a lot of us forget that it's that recent. It's still going oh, on. Oh, yeah. It's still going on right now. That's what you're looking at right now, even with the climate of, of the war and everything. Like it's, um, it's, it, it, and it's only a few people. Like my city, Terrell, Texas, was a great city to raise a child. But there was only a few people that made it kind of bad for everybody. And it was like, you know, and those were the people that were the loudest. And those were the people that were the most, you know, just not knowledgeable about things. And that was the thing that I would always stress. Like when I went to college, there was 81 different countries in my college. I would see somebody like you say, hey, man, what's up? Thinking it's a white guy. He said, and, you know, you'd be from France. So I see your brother. What's happening, brother? And he'd be from Venezuela. And that's the thing that we... That's the thing that I look back now, and even to this day, the reason that we, that we think certain ways is because we've never gone anywhere. Less than 15% of Americans have a passport. When you say Venice, people think Venice Beach, but they don't know it's Venice, Italy. You, you go to Berlin, or you go to, or, or you have Palestinians and Israelis in the same student center at your school talking about their lives. Or when you see people that are Arabic, that yeah. aren't radical. It's, it's just because the lack of knowledge, you know. So that's that's the thing. It's like in, in Ray's story. Ray's story touches everything. He has a hit in R and B. He has a hit in country western. Which country western? Like, what the hell are you doing in here, man? <laughs> what this blind guy in here? But the thing that Ray was, he was the internet. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. He was music, and music connects us all over the world. A Ray Charles song here in America or in Germany, they're still moving the same way. He was the first internet con connection. And that's what you love about this man's story is because he said, I'm blind. I can't tell what color you are. I don't know where you're from. All I can do is this. There's something inside me that's going to give you this beautiful piece of music. Now, if we could all take a page from that, and I know it sounds cliche, but it's really necessary. Right? That's why this movie is necessary right now yeah. because it's bringing everybody together. We, did it in, we, we, we screened it in Toronto. And there was everybody there. You look out in the audience and you see young kids, 10, 11, 12. Then you see older people that knew, you know, raised music, black folk, white folk, everybody came together. And that's what's great and necessary about this flick. What do you learn about your life and your experiences from looking at what he went through? When you talk about the racism yeah. that you faced, yeah. what lessons do you learn? Well, what I learned was is that you gotta, you got to go past it. But you have to maintain your integrity and you have to celebrate what you are. 
It's like when, if you take yourself back a few, in the 70s and the 80s when we were watching TV, when TV was really TV, like when you watch All in the Family, right. you dug Archie Bunker because you knew where he came from. You dug George Jefferson because you knew where he came from. And that celebration of your culture is what you enjoy. It's like I celebrate my culture because it, it makes me happy. And then when people see me celebrating my culture, it makes them happy also. It's like when you watch Seinfeld, you know, coming from a Jewish perspective or, or wherever it comes from, people uh, uh, celebrating themselves is wonderful. The bad thing about it is when they treat you bad because you celebrate your culture. And, and in Ray, here's a man who was going through life. There would be bathrooms that say whites and colors only. And we actually thought that was cool. We actually said, yeah, that's the way it should be. And when you look back on that, it seems so ignorant. And it was. But Ray said, hey, I'm going to step past that. I said, I know. And he said, I'm, and I'm going to blaze a trail for everybody to kind of see their way through. And so he was hitting on so many different levels. I mean, the music is how he got you. But then it was the humanitarianism underneath it that made you love him, that, that, that really put him on the icon, legendary level. Because when he says, America, you say, man, he's singing it so many different ways. It's a lot of pain in it when he's singing it. You know what I'm saying? He was giving you everything. He was, yeah, that was a song, but he was talking about his struggle in America. He was talking about how he came to say, in spite of, that's what Ray Charles is, in spite of, in spite of the fact that I lost my mother when she was 31 years old, in spite of the fact that I can't see, in spite of the fact that there's racism and gender, whatever it is out there, I'm still going to embrace life and give life back to people. So then what does that do for you? Now, how do you face life after having had this experience? It, it, it makes you say, hey, man, I can do it. It makes you say, hey, I don't have to be afraid. And that's the thing. You know, most people that have things happen to them in their life say, I'm just, I'll just go over here and I'll just be quiet. I don't want to. It's, it's already so bad for me. But I think that it gives me power. And for any other young artist, young black artist, young white artist, whatever, to go out and do something. And then after that, speak on it. You know, like I have... Um, now saying to myself, I said, if he can do it, and I have my sight, and I have knowledge of what to do, then that means that I need to make sure every single day I try to enrich not just my life but people around me by doing what I feel is inside, you know, uh, in, in my heart in a peaceful and a and an inspiring way. And that's why I always said to this, I said, the greedy people. And the, uh, and the racist people, it's only a few of them, and we keep letting them get away with right. it because I've met everybody under the sun now that uh, aren't like what I grew up with at times. Why didn't that hold you back? What was it in your upbringing that My grandmother, that my grandmother put me in the system. I, I had dinner with this guy named Ted Hartley. Ted Hartley's very, very rich. Comes, I go to his house, and it's like gates and stuff. You know, white <laughs> Come on in, Jamie. And he sat me at the table and said, Jamie, tell me how it happened for you, because I really, un- I dig you as a, as a, as a, as a kid. What, ha- what happened? I said, my grandmother put me in the system. And you have to be, somebody has to put you in the system. Somebody has to have some type of caringness about you to actually say, I'm not just going to give you an education. I'm going to give you a life, a lesson about life. And she put me in the system. She said, you don't back down to anybody when it comes to intelligence, when it comes to respecting other people. So you don't, you don't, you don't do that. And once that happened, it was a matter of, of, of me taking that, what she's, what she's taught me, and then do something for the good of it. Not a lot of people doing good nowadays, is it? How, mm. much, how, much, how much despair on TV is it right now? And we, now we're starting to welcome it. You know, we're starting to, uh, we're starting to look at, like, like I always, like I performed for the troops. I was on the, um, uh, uh, on the aircraft carrier performing for them. 
and supporting them, saying, you know, support. But I want them to come home. You know, I said, I, I want you guys to come home. I don't want to. I don't want to look and read now. Now that down on the thing, there's a, two more killed and four more. I want you to come home. And that's the thing. It's like my grandmother was like, hey, go out there and do good, no matter what the situation is. And when they look back on your life. They said that kid was always trying to do good and trying to inspire and look at the life half at the, as the glass half full as opposed to half empty. Jamie Foxx has gone on to build an impressive filmography, including Dreamgirls, The Soloist, Django Unchained, and the new film opening wide next week, Just Mercy. Plus, this last year, he reprised the iconic TV role of George Jefferson on ABC's Live in Front of a Studio Audience special event. You can see my full interview with Jamie Foxx on our website, houstonpublicmedia.org slash next dash question. Still to come, the music of Carolina Ike. Justin McKee shares some of his favorite podcasts, and Dustin Chase announces his top 10 films of 2019, as Next Question continues. I'm Ernie Manus, and you're listening to Next Question. Each week, we like to pull together folks from the realms of the entertainment field to talk about movies, music, TV, and podcasts. And since it's the end of the year, we thought we'd look back at the year. Some of the best, some of the worst. Here to look at that with us for music, Troy Schultz. Hey, Ernie. Hello. From digital media and podcast, Justin McKee. Hello. And of course, chasing the movies, Dustin Chase. Present. Present. Okay, folks. Was 2019 a good entertainment year? I think it depends on which, which list you're looking at. It had Avengers Endgame, so automatically, yes. That makes it terrible, though. Mm, oh, at least it's over. <laughs> is, oh, it, is it? Is it? Really? <laughs> Musically, an important year? Yeah, I think there was a lot of interesting stuff that came out this year. Some, you know, um, stuff that kind of, you know, flew under people's radar and... We have, you you know, your big releases like as usual, but um, it was a good year. Yeah. If you were to write the book on the music of 2019, what would the title be? Oh, God, Ernie, I have no idea. Would it start that's a crazy with a cat question. soundtrack? <laughs> oh, Lord, here um, comes the cats again. <laughs> that's definitely going to be the, one of the most bizarre choices of the year, probably. Yeah. Is there an original song in Taylor cats? Swift wrote an original song yeah. for the cats. Oh, though. good, it needed one more. <laughs> she was, however, disqualified for the Oscars. Okay, so I mean, for music, this really was the year of Lizzo. I mean, let's be honest. You know, Lizzo, yeah. There, yeah. So, what's her story? Um, she uh, went to U of H. She, yeah, she she's was, ours. Yeah, she was. Uh, she played flute at, at U of H. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you see her play flute and mm-hmm. you know on stage and stuff too. Yeah. And she's also in Hustlers. Yeah. Oh yeah, bring it back to me. I'll be talking about later. Not even later. You could talk about it right now. <laughs> well, I don't want to give away my lists yet. We, I'm not going to tell you which list that's on. Okay, podcast wise, if you were to write the book. On the podcasts of 2019, what would the title be? Something to do with politics. I mean, one of the <clears throat> since we just started doing this, I haven't talked about it yet. But my one of my favorite podcasts is Pod Save America. It's a group of guys who started this uh, podcasting company called Crooked Media. We had, there's a, like a former Obama speechwriter. Uh, one of the guys was on the uh, I think on the NSC it was in the NSC as a part of the Obama campaign. Admittedly left leaning, but a great dissection of the current events in the political arena. Obviously with everything that's happened in the white house this year, they had a lot to talk about. A lot of fire um, out there. A lot of fire out there. So I, I can't recommend enough. They're smart. 
they're funny, and the the personalities of the host really comes through. And each one kind of has their own little thing. And I I like how they play off of each other. Yeah. Um, so Would you say 2019 was a year where podcasts went much more mainstream in meaning more people turned to them? A hundred percent. I think everyone's trying to do a podcast in that trying to come up with their hooks, which kind of brings me to my second favorite podcast of the year. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. Mm-hmm. Conan O'Brien, late night talk show host, you know, has been on for years. Uh, pretty, I think, fascinating career, even if you don't uh, particularly like his brand of comedy. He is a comedy nerd. So what he's done, I guess they decided at Team Coco, his production company, that they need to do a podcast. It's like, okay, well, what what can we do? So they just, obviously it's going to be a talk show because that's what he does, but they wrap it under this uh, kind of brand of Conan O'Brien needs a friend. So it's, you know, it's Conan O'Brien. I'm, I'm big, I'm famous. I talk to... Uh, famous people, but I don't really have a lot of friends. So he talks to famous people to ask them if they'll be his friend. And it's really just talking about it's whatever they're the doing. the plight of a talk show host. It, to find a... A friend. A fr- we have sure, access sure, sure, to sure. all these celebrities, but who are our true friends? But no one can relate to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then just really quickly, uh, my third, my one of my... I'm a, I love tech news, especially Apple, Accidental Tech Podcast. Um, if any of you listeners out there are tech fans, you've probably heard of this already. Um, and one of my favorite podcasts of the year was a couple of weeks ago, um, and this will only make sense if you do listen to it, John Syracuse ordered his uh, Mac Pro, which, uh, which is a new, the new tower computer from Apple. It cost him $17,000 for this computer, and it's an amazing episode. John Syracuse is one of the smart. He's one of those guys that no matter what he says, it's smart. Hmm. And so it's it's very and he's got and the, you know they'll talk. It's a tech podcast, but they'll talk about different things here and there. Yeah. And it's just he's always got a cool thing to say. So well, that's cool. Three. That's what least I like. favorite podcast. No, you don't have to do that. But that does remind me that this show is available as a podcast if you're listening on the radio. Uh, Dustin, do you have any favorite podcasts in the realm of movies? Film? Uh, podcast, yes. Um, for the podcast that I listen to, you can't really get any better than listening to a- Eric Cohen and Ann Thompson on IndieWire. They can break down the Oscar race like nobody's business in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get up to date on uh, awards podcasts, I recommend those guys. Um, Sasha Stone, love her or hate her. Um, she <laughs> uh, really will go through the Oscar race week by week on her uh, Awards Daily podcast. That one's pretty interesting. I listen to that one while I'm working out. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, if, if you're into awards stuff, there's tons of really great podcasts that can catch you up and tell you what you need to see. Troy, I bet you know what I'm going to ask you. I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts. Because so. you're too busy listening to music. Yes. Okay. Looking at the year in music, what were some of your favorite moments that we captured for well, Skyline I Sessions? Well, I could talk about, yeah, let me talk about what, um, what we did for Skyline Sessions. So this year we had some really amazing artists come in. One of my favorites from like back in the 90s, uh, John Spencer uh, came in. He's the f- former front man for the John Spencer Blues Explosion, which mm-hmm. was a, a great band from the, from the 90s. Um, that was a really fantastic session. Um, one of my favorite albums of the year was an album by a L.A. band called Terror Jr., and uh, they came into the studio. This album received very little critical love, but I love it. It's 15 amazing pop songs. And uh, they're an up-and-coming up band, and uh, they came into the studio to perform. We did a couple of videos with them. Their performance was really good here. Yeah. 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 They even utilized the Steinway piano. They're an electronic band, but they actually brought out the Steinway and did an interesting thing with the, uh, with the grand piano in the studio. Um, 
Let's see who else. We had um, Pete Yorn, who was a mm-hmm. fantastic singer songwriter, came in. Uh, Mateel from LA, or from, not from LA, she's from Atlanta. Mateel, um, or th- that band, and um, they came in, and they're kind of an up and coming band. They got some good critical. Love if this people year want too. to see all of these, where's the best place to go and look at the collection? YouTube.com/slash/skyline-sessions. Oh. And we're also uh, we have a page on NPR Music Live Sessions. Blech. We have a page on NPR Music Live Sessions as well. Yeah. And every week we end the show with one of the songs that you bring in for us from Skyline Sessions. We won't Mm -hmm. tell them what it is yet. Okay. But we're going to change our focus now over to the world of film and cinema. All right. Come on, Dustin. Upset a lot of people. What do you want to start with, the best or the worst? Let's start with the best. We'll start on a positive note. Well, one of the first things when we started uh, Next Question was we talked about Renee Zellweger and Judy. And so that's my number 10 favorite film of the year. Really? Yep. A lot of people love her performance, but the movie like itself it. isn't getting And I love. think they're shortchanging it. The more I watch it, I mean, there's a lot going on there that's not, I mean, yes, she's amazing and she deserves the, to win the second Academy Award. But I think the movie was put together pretty well, better than a lot of biopics. I liked it much better than Bohemian Rhapsody last year. Mm-hmm. But um, so Did that, you see Rocketman? I did. I thought it was okay, and I just rewatched that again. I think Judy's better than that. I, oh, I love Rocket. Rocketman's a little silly, and this <laughs> one is heartbreaking. And I tend to go for the drama more than yeah. the comedy. Okay, what else? Number ten, or number nine is actually a movie that just recently came out for on Christmas Day. If you're living in LA and New York, it's going to expand over the new year. 1917. It's the new film from Sam Mendes. Of course, he did Road to Perdition, American Beauty. Now, the hook of this movie... Skyfall. I was just about to pipe in. (laughs) Blah, 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 yes. (laughs) James Bond. But um, the the hook of this movie is they've really sold it as this war, unconventional war movie that's shot in one single take. Now, of course, if you know anything about movies, it's obviously not shot in one single Mm -hmm. take. And if you're a technical person, you're going to be like, oh, that was a take, that was a take, that was a take. And it almost distracts from the action and the story, which is quite compelling. This is not your normal war movie. This is focused on two individuals who are racing literally against time to save their friends and deliver a message. And then you see like Colin uh, Firth and different guys, Benedict Cumberbatch, will pop up like in little small roles throughout the movie. So is the whole movie one take? One take. It's, it's theoretical. It's, it's supposed to look like one take. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the editor was really? doing an interview and uh, someone said, I counted about five takes. Like, how many are there really? And he was like, five. He's like, wow, uh, thank you. And, and the guy the, the guy was like, well, we shot for 65 days. He's like, yeah, but how many takes are He's like, we shot for, for 65, 65 days. days. The camera's and, rolling yeah. for 65 days. But yeah. I mean, if you, if you really tried to, I, there's no way I could I'm just not talented enough to catch the 65 takes if there are that many because I am a sucker for a oneer for a one shot and so I did not realize this it's, whole movie it's stunning. is one shot and it like but you will I'm get so excited. into the action mm. and the suspense of it that I think Sam Mendes is a phenomenal filmmaker okay before we run out of time keep moving through yep, that so, okay so number eight number eight would be Honey Boy which I know you didn't like Ernie <sighs> um the Shia LaBeouf story which I thought was just really cathartic beautiful film from first time director Mama. Alma Harrell um Marriage Story <laughs> was my number seven Adam Driver I think is going to win the Oscar for his performance there Scarlett Johansson of course Laura Dern might even get her first Oscar for performance here Ooh, written yes. directed by Noah Baumbach um, the King is my number six, the Timothy Chalamet I liked yeah. that. film. I, liked yeah, I think that surprised a lot of people. Netflix didn't pay as much attention to that one as some of their other films, but it turned out really quite, quite yeah, good. I'm looking forward to that one. I mm-hmm. want to see it. And it was sidetracking to music a little bit. That's my favorite score of the year. Nicholas Bertel's oh. score for The King was just phenomenal. Yeah. And it was shortlisted for the Academy Awards, so hopefully Fingers it could get crossed. into the top five. 
My number five film of the year would be Where'd You Go, Bernadette with Kate Blanchett. <laughs> uh, it, it fell down a little bit, but I think it's still a really great movie with a really great message, and Kate's fantastic in that. Oh, we're getting closer to the top now. Number four would be Joker. I really liked Joker a I lot. Joker. Another Oscar film, ironically. Um, it is now the highest grossing comic book film of all time, only because it was so cheap. It only cost $40 million to make, and it made oh, over a billion. Like so, yeah, world. it didn't so cost as much wise, as all the other ones. So it, it's, it's made more money than it I know that. Yeah. That's cool. And uh, number three is a film that's really getting snubbed from uh, more of the mainstream award shows, but The Last Black Men in San Francisco, a beautiful film um, that was shot in San Francisco, uh, new actors. Uh, it's just, it's a really, really so interesting in the way it's put together and the music and the performances. That one, if you haven't seen, I really recommend going to get that one. It's on DVD. Uh, number two is The Farewell. Um, that one stars Aquafina. It's about the Chinese family who oh, have right. to not tell the grandmother that she's dying, and they, they go out to visit her under the guise okay, of a marriage. Before you hit number one, what makes this one at number two so good for you? Well, it's not just me. I mean, this one's on tons of lists. I think it's going to get a Best Picture nomination. Um, we at the Houston Film Critics Society even nominated Lulu Wang for Best Director and uh, Aquafina for Best Actress and Lulu Wang for Writing. It works because you don't have to be Chinese. You don't have to know be in those those customs to really appreciate what a family and togetherness and even saying goodbye is all about. And I think that's what this film this film does really well. It's based on a true story, and mm -hmm. it's just. Uh, I think the hook that gets you in there is that wow, you know, what would I do if I wasn't able to to tell my my grandmother or mother or whoever that they were dying? Like, how would I react? And they even talk about how in America this would be illegal. But it's just it's 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 charming. It's funny. You'll be laughing one minute and crying the next. And it just to me it has everything that you want in a movie. Okay. And What's then the number one, on your list? and I really struggled this year because I, I think this is a, a good year for movies, but I don't think it's a great year for movies. There's a lot of really good stuff, but nothing just really grabbed me. Do you think part of the reason for that was they knew Star Wars was coming, and so they kind of cleared the decks of other things? No, I mean, there's a Star Wars movie every year, so I don't think <laughs> that had anything to do with one, it. Though. But I I just think— Okay, uh, what's, the, I don't what's know. the film? I don't know. I can't explain why— 2019 wasn't superb, but my just I landed on Aeronauts. I know we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Really, Aeronauts ended up being my number one. I I, I rewatched all these multiple times just to get them in the right order, and that's the one that made me feel the best afterwards. That gave it, it felt like a movie of hope. And it, there's some dark stuff on my list, and some dark stuff out there, and this yeah. seemed like the most hopeful. And to read all your in-depth reviews of these films, where do they go? You can find me on Twitter. At Texas Art Film, and then texasartfilm.net is where all the long reviews are. You can read those. Okay. What, what I'm always more excited for. What's your worst list? What's the worst list? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll go through these. We'll do the top five worst okay. films. Some of these, so I watch a lot of stuff. So yeah. some sometimes I feel like I, I'm, I'm watching things that most people don't even, haven't even heard of. But my number five would probably be Hustlers. I know we just uh, talked about. Really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. So I just, I again, it's, it's talking about a message. I thought that just was sending all the wrong messages out there. <laughs> and I just wasn't I, – I don't understand why Jennifer Lopez is getting all the awards buzz because she's playing herself again. So yeah. either if you, if you haven't seen all of her other movies, then um, maybe this is new to you, but I just feel like she's, she's playing J-Lo again. Number four. Number four would be um, – I just saw this. Um, it's called Her Smell. 
<laughs> Do we I've heard need of this one, yeah, because it's a music what? movie. It's, it's yeah. a music movie, yeah. and it stars um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss. Moss yeah. yeah, and so uh-huh. she's playing like a, a, a rocker, and it, uh-huh. you know, and I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, rocker. oh, oh, another movie about a musical artist who's on drugs and has to overcome it. it you know, I think at this point, an original concept would be a musical artist who, you know, is sober. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number three. Number three would be the film The Intruder. Uh, Dennis Quaid was in that one. That one came out way earlier in the year. It's about this couple that buys this new family home from Dennis Quaid, and he like terrorizes. Watch the them. trailer on Netflix. I was like, absolutely not. Yeah, it's awful. Oh, right. it's the not the acting it. is so oh, bad. Okay, well, good to know. I dodged. Yeah. It. Number two would be a film called The Souvenir, which I know is beloved in New York City. People love that one. Um, it stars uh, Tilda Swinton's daughter, and Tilda Swinton has a small role in the film. It's a relationship movie that just didn't work for me at all. Okay, so far I haven't heard Cats. Cats is not on my list. <sighs> there are it things wasn't, worse. There than are things cats. worse than Cats. <laughs> my number one worst film of the year is a film called Climax. It's basically It's basically a drug-filled orgy yeah. movie where they just do all kinds of drugs. They drink and, the punch. Yeah, they right? drink yeah, the punch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just two hours it's of like, people walking yeah. around. It's like a dance company that are out in some, yep. like, yeah, yep. and they all get. And start killing each yeah, other. Uh, and it's like half It's like a Lars von Trier movie or. It's Gaspar it, Noe, yeah. yeah. It's, um, he did um, uh, Irreversible um, and uh, what else? Uh, Love, which yeah, is okay. a, yeah. Yeah, he okay. always tries uh, to push all the limits. Enter the void. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. All right, here comes my question of every week. You've got your movie money in your pocket. You're going to the local Cineplex. What am I buying my ticket to? Go watch Little Women. Go watch 1917. Little Women's out now. Greta Gerwig's yeah. new adaptation. Timothy Chalamet, Saoirse Ronan, Laura Dern, Meryl Streep. I mean, that's a cast to die for. Okay. Well, we don't want anyone to die here, so we are going to wrap up our pop culture conclave for the year. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Before we go, though, we always turn to music. Troy, what do you have for us this week to wrap up? 2019. So this is one of our, our most popular videos this year. Um, Carolina Eich is a musician. She's born in Germany. Uh, she plays the theremin, which is a, one of the oldest electronic instruments ever invented. And it was invented around 1920. And it, you've probably heard it in lots of old sci-fi movies and stuff. It has um, an, uh, an eerie sort of quality to it. It almost sounds like a human voice. And you play it without touching it. So it's got one antenna that controls the pitch and then another antenna that controls the volume and you move your hands in the air and that's how you play the instrument. And so, and she's one of the best in the world uh, at this instrument. And so she came into the studio to perform a few songs, an original song, but she also did this one and it is her uh, composition of, um, or her arrangement of the song, the, uh, the ecstasy of gold, which was, uh, in the film, the good, the bad and the ugly, um, oh. Morricone yeah. composed it for that film. And so she does her version of this and when she uses, uh, looping pedals and other electronics to, uh, loop her voice and also little theremin sections. And so yeah. then sort of all runs together in this really layered, uh, 
sound. Well, we'll hear that in just a moment. Remember, if you want to see her playing it, you can come to our website, houstonpublicmedia.org slash next dash question. And there you can see all of the rest of stuff we talk about on the show. It's a great resource. If you listen to the show each week and you want to see the video of Carolina playing, or if you want to see trailers for the movies we talk about, you'll find them all sitting right there. So right now though, I do want to take a moment and thank our engineer, Tom Carter, who puts this show together each week. I'm Ernie Manus, your host and producer. Remember, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts. You can email us at nextquestion at houstonpublicmedia.org or join us in the realm of social media. Hashtag nextqhou. So make sure you don't miss another episode of our show. Tune back in next week. But right now, here is The Ecstasy of Gold by Carolina Ike. And everyone, have a happy 2020. Ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-dum-ba-